Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Unfounded Podcast. It's been a while, guys. Sorry about the hiatus there, but I've been pretty busy, pretty stressed out, trying to make those bucks to make the rent at the end of the month. You know what I mean? I know a lot of you out there have the, the similar struggle going right now, so... I've been out there grinding away at the DoorDash, just uh, trying to make that money so I can make the rent and um, have a little extra time to come and sit down and talk and chat with you guys about all the craziness that is going on in the world right now, right? It seems like it just gets crazier day after day, uh, especially as we move closer towards this election. It's getting a little nutty, right? Um, I think it's going to continue to <laughs> go that way. Uh, but yeah, so I've just... That's kind of been what's going on with me, guys. Sorry about, like I said, the long hiatus. I think it's been a little, little over a week, maybe like 10 days since my last episode. Uh, but thank you to all of you listeners out there who have been listening this far. Um, I've been getting more listeners, uh, and it's, it's really exciting to see this thing grow. So thank you very much for your support thus far. And if you do enjoy the podcast, or you find it helpful, um, and you have anybody that you know that may enjoy it or may find it useful as well, please share it with them so that they can, they can uh, enjoy the, the content as well. All righty? And without further ado, let's roll right into it. Um, you know, I don't have a specific topic to talk about this morning, but I have been listening to a lot of different podcasts uh, recently as I've been driving because I've been driving a lot. Um, and I, I guess actually there is a topic I want to talk about, and it's stress. I don't think I've talked about this before in a, in a podcast. And um, let's go ahead and define stress real quick. Uh, Okay, let's go to trusty old Wikipedia if we can find it here. Sorry about the um, delay here, guys. Okay. All right. So stress is a conscious, or this is by uh, this is by Wikipedia, and this is on a stress-related disorders website. But it says stress, and this the definition on this website. I'll, I'll get you actually a, a more traditional definition. Let's do that first, and then we'll go to this site. Uh, stress is a conscious or unconscious psychological feeling. Let's see. Uh, stress can be defined as the degree to which you feel overwhelmed or unable to cope as a result of pressure that are, pressures that are unmanageable. All right. So then we're gonna go back to this other one. This is a Wikipedia definition. I think is uh, is pretty adequate or kind of a, a more in-depth description. Um, it says stress is a conscious or unconscious psychological feeling or physical condition result- resulting from physical or mental positive or negative pressure that overwhelms adaptive capacity. So this is this is interesting. It it, it makes. It points out that positive pressure can cause stress as well. It's not just negative pressure. We usually connotate stress or uh, we connect uh, stress with with negative things, right? Because it causes us discomfort. Uh, so we associate it with negative negativity in general. But um, positive stress, right? Let's say that you get a big promotion at work. Um, that can that can bring on a lot of stress as well because you're you're not only are you going into a new position, but there's a lot of responsibility that. Um, I guess that's what you would I would describe positive pressure as is responsibility. Oh, that's a really good way to define it, actually. <laughs> positive pressure, positive pressure, or positive stress is responsibility. That's that's what we define as responsibility. Negative pressure, negative stress is um, inefficiency, I guess. Uh, yeah, uh, negative pressure, negative stress comes from trying to control things outside of your control. That's what I would say, um, but. It's a, and then it goes on to say it is a psychological process initiated by events that threaten, harm, or challenge an organism or that exceed available coping resources. 
and, uh, and it is characterized by psychological responses that are directed towards adaptation. Stresses wear and tear on the body in response to stressful agents. Hans Selye, I don't know, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, um, he was a pioneering Hungarian-Canadian endocrinologist. He conducted important scientific work on the hypothetical nonspecific response of an organism to stressors. Okay, although he did not recognize all of the many aspects of glue i don't know what that means okay <laughs> we're gonna move on i had this happens often with wikipedia where i get to a word i'm like i don't know that <laughs> um so uh this gentleman called such agents stressors and said they could be physically physiologically psychologically or socioculturally uh prevalent and stress is not anxiety an anxiety disorder and is not a normative concept okay so it is not a disorder uh, so I, you know what? This is an interesting one, and it's very specific to me because I've been diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder. Right? Um, let's go ahead and define that for you really quick, so you know what that is. Generalized anxiety. And I'm going to use this anecdote because um, I think it's relevant, or it seems relevant at the time. Um, um, definition. It's a disorder characterized by excessive or unrealistic anxiety about two or more aspects of life, meaning work, social relationships, financial matters, etc., combining two or more of those things and having an unrealistic expectation or anxiety about it, uh, often accompanied by symptoms such as palpitations, shortness of breath, or dizziness, so kind of um, panic attack symptoms, uh, right? So this is something that I was diagnosed with. Um, but what's interesting, what I've found, is that I, I don't really exhibit the symptoms of this anymore. Now... Let's go ahead and see if there's a uh, generalized anxiety disorder cure. <laughs> I know there's not one, but let's go ahead and type that in real quick. Um, diagnosis and treatment. Let's see here. Diagnosis. Uh, so, I've, so treatment. Treatment decisions are based on how specifically generalized anxiety disorder is affecting your ability to function in your daily life. The two main treatments for generalized anxiety disorder are psychotherapy and medications. You may benefit most from a combination of the two. It may take some some trial and error to discover which treatments work best for you. Okay, so um, usually what happens is uh, the psychotherapy aspect is 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 attached as well, right? Um, but the medication. Um, a lot of times what ends up happening is like, I, for, for me at least, let me describe. So it says like the psychotherapy treatment is something that can go ha happen. Uh, usually you consult with your doctor, right? So let's say I went, I went and saw my, my uh, a general practitioner, right? My family doctor. And uh, he, he, this is what actually happened. He gave me a, a, a sheet of paper that kind of tested me on, on different, uh, asked me like a hundred different questions based on like how I was stressed right now, right? In different scenarios. Uh, after And I, I submitted that questionnaire. And after that, you know, based on the score of that, I was either diagnosed with this disorder or not. Um, I was diagnosed with that disorder. And then, you know, the conversation happens, you know, here's what we can do. Um, I have these medications, uh, usually uh, anti-anxiety medications, stuff like that, that we can put you on. Uh, we can also go psychotherapy, things like that. But the problem is, is a lot of times because you're consulting a doctor, they want to be able to fix it for you, right? They want to solve that problem right away. They want to kind of, um, with Western medicine, right? A quick fix, a, a solution to the problem. And so they, almost every single time, I don't actually, I don't know this. I'm, I'm, I'm generalizing. This is my experience though. It seemed like the conversation very quickly went to medications and, and, and veered away from psychotherapy. Now that could have been my doing. It could have been because I displayed 
a desire to have a quick fix. I think that's part of it, right? And I think that's part of the problem as well. I don't want to put this all on doctors. I want to make that very clear. Uh, but I think because there's a there's a personal responsibility we each have to kind of do the work that goes with along with psychotherapy, and a lot of people avoid that and want a pill to fix it, and it doesn't fix it, right? So a doctor can't make you fix yourself. And so I think a lot of times what happens is there's a combination of um, doctors wanting to give you the fix you're looking for and you looking for a quick fix uh, for a problem that you're having. And a lot of times that's how these disorders end up leading towards medications that cause downward spirals inside of people, I think. Um, because these medications are quick fixes, but they don't, they're not long-term fixes. And so the longer you stay on these pills and these medications, the less effective they become, the more the problems uh, kind of grow out of control that you're experiencing. Uh, and once the medication stops working, then you feel like you have nowhere else to turn because that is kind of, as you just heard, the only two options. And if you already did the most extreme, the medication version, you really think psychotherapy is going to help. That's how people usually think about it. And so I think this this path we're on, I think... Uh, kind of guides people down a, a very depressing road that often leads to suicide and these other negative aspects because people feel trapped as if they have no other option, no other way out. I think this is also partially a derivative of our, our, so, our society, like the way we view um, the world period, the secular worldview, I think, has, has something to do with this as well, our ability to control things, fix things, provide quick fixes. Our obsession with ourselves, our ego problem, all of this is wrapped up uh, and not only how we diagnose issues within our society, but how we go about fixing them, obviously. And so um, that's really fundamentally some of the issues we're having right now as a society is diagnosing what society's ills are and then how do we go about fixing it? Um, I would argue, this is a really weird how it relates to the conversation we just had, but I, I would argue that I think what we're looking for socially, at least... In, um, younger generations, like my generation, we're kind of this. There's this energy behind change, right? Um, I think this is a this is specific to the archetype of the younger individual period, right? Like uh, younger individuals tend to be more energetic, right? Um, they're also more naive by definition because they have uh, they they can't have the breadth of experience that adults have yet because they haven't been in the world yet. So there's this there's this um, uh, ignorance. Uh, a, combined with energy, <laughs> desire to change things that um, traditionally was held back by institutions, right? Like the university. So like that gung-ho-ness of like, hey, let's just go change everything. Let's go uproot the entire world and see what happens. Um, was usually tam tempered uh, by not only our elders, right, the, the, the older uh, individuals within our society that we looked to uh, and respected because they would kind of rein in that. Um, also, we tend to not allow children control things <laughs> for this reason, right? Control institutions, control our government, control things, you know, positions of being positions of power. It's also why if you look back through history, when you had a child king, it didn't, or a queen, I, I think it was always kings, if, pretty sure but it, there's i'm sure there's instances of child queens as well um you'd always say it, it despotism was rampant <laughs> you know what i mean because there's no like that I, th I think the younger vision of the world is a more egocentric and egocentric one um hmm Sorry, I'm pausing there because I'm having a clash. There's a there's a clash there with something I've said before, and I'm trying to sort through it. So it's like, you know, I, I truly believe this fundamentally, 
that we start out knowing everything we need to know. So a baby is perfect, but as you as you grow up, as you grow older, you 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 kind of are trained out of knowing that knowing, and you start to play the ego game. You start to focus on yourself individually and how to kind of cheat the world out of what it has. And so you you scheme and and plan, and you're the worst at doing that when you're young, but not like when you're when you're older old enough to affect things, but young enough to not have a perspective to te- to temper it, right? And so. Um, that's kind of, I think the age of like this, this coming of age, age, like 18, 19, 20, 21, like this, this, that get those gap years is a very dangerous time in, 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 in a sense. Um, that's, I think why we kind of tend to send people to college to an institution where you have a bunch of different perspectives that can temper them in that time frame. Because if you don't, what you have is a lot of, uh, very gung ho individuals that are go out into the world and try to change it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, now I do think that's, been part partially the, we talked i talked in the last episode about the function of the university i do think that's partially its function is to kind of it is to act in some ways as a filter but it's not to it's not to morph any it's not to act as a as a factory to kind of create certain perspectives and in individuals it's meant to temper those the, the multitude of of individuals that come in their perspectives it's meant to temper them and, and provide a, a some sort of common ground through it a common perspective through which um eh, that, that's not the right way to, to to show people that the value is not in 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 aligning with one with what's been founded which with what people have figured out before but with coming up with some novel idea with challenging your ideas with being comfortable with change with kind of that what i was just showing you right right there earlier where, where like if you come if you come to an idea that clashes with one that you've held before like stop for a second and think about it like which one's wrong you know what i mean or are, are both of them right in a portion and you have to do like a more complex, you know, digestion where you, you go through and try to intermingle those in a more complex way. Um, all of that, I think, um, has to, uh, sorry, I just lost my train of thought right there. Cause I was doing something on the computer. I was switching uh, focus, but, um, I think in general, the universities have kind of lost track of that, 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 that filtering aspect where it's like, where it's meant to uh, filter this, 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 this archetype of the young individual that's gung ho, uh, but also naive uh, before it goes into the world. So it can't, so it does the least amount of harm. Uh, what I, this is where I was going to, what I think's happened now is we've actually created the university as, as, as started to, um, to direct that, give it a vector. So instead of, instead of, uh, kind of allowing individuality to flourish, uh, but also like pro- uh, providing an, a, an environment where it's okay to disagree, kind of a thing, right? Where um, people are taught and learn how to lose in a sense, but intellectually. It's like this intellectual losing is something we haven't uh, been taught. Um, partially because I think it has been taken out of our sports systems too. This is where it connects to that like trophy kind of argument, right? That, that, that participation trophy idea is that if you don't allow kind of the games that we've set up to teach children how to lose and how to win to do that, if you protect them from that negative aspect of life, which is the losing aspect, you don't learn the intellectual losing process, which then when you get to a spot where you're able to affect the world, both physically and uh, physically, um, but but motivating that through your intellectual you know desire, um, it, it becomes dangerous then because you're a thing that can affect things in the world, right? But you don't know how to lose, and so if uh, if you don't know how to if you don't know any, so you don't know how to correct 
your perspective either, right? Uh, and change course in a sense. And so um, you're a dangerous thing out there that uh, kind of just smashes into everything else as it goes down the road. And I think that's partially what we've created is these 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 little arrows, right? These little, um, like I was saying uh, in last episode, kind of these these energy voids, these 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 super dense egos, these super egos um, that don't don't have a conception of an ability to change the perspective because they've only ever been presented one perspective, right? Um, and, and encouraged in their own perspective, right? This natural kind of childish way of viewing the world, and I don't mean to sound con- be condescending here, guys, but this idea that everything can be fun and soft and even and fair um, is something that I think uh, usually gets trained out of you in university, because you'll see how much diversity there is in thought and how like it, nothing it's too complex of a system to control in that way um, instead what's happening now is universities are teaching the opposite they're teaching that you can control things exactly that way it's actually the only way to change things is to try to change them externally and that you have a obligation a social responsibility to go out there and to fight for what is generally agreed upon as socially right um, it's this group think kind of idea as well. And that's why you feel this pull to it. That's why you feel um, when you're in a conversation and there's a certain word that pops in your head that you want to say, but it doesn't like, I'm not saying like bad words, right? But I'm saying that, you know, there's these political correct terms that we use all the time now. And let's say you're just talking um, and you say a word that you didn't even think was like politically incorrect. But as soon as you say it, you get that like kind of like stomach turns over feeling like, oh, did I just say something bad? That pull, that's a pull. That's a social pull, and it's there on purpose, right? Um, it's there to, to 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 reel you in, to control you, to get you in that same vector. Uh, and and one of the things I found really interesting about uh, this, I was listening to a Joe Rogan episode yesterday. Um, he was talking to I forget who he was talking to specifically, um, but it was it was they were talking about how there's this certain way that people speak. Uh, it was the it was a speech guy, I think, something like that. Um, one of the most recent episodes, and. Uh, I'll try to find it for you guys and post it. But the uh, <laughs> they're talking about speech and um, how there's an actual correlation, um, like a map of sorts uh, of inflection in your brain. Uh, and that there's a certain way that, that that map can be interpreted wrong in a sense or can be misinterpreted, I guess is kind of what they were saying. And that that's been attributed to a certain 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 like accents or way of talking one of them being this kind of upward inflection at the end of saying something like everything's always a question and like (laughs) essentially what it is is the valley girl accent right now what, what i found interesting about this is is there's there's a there's a way that we signal to other people through the way that we communicate the way that we speak uh that says hey i'm on your team and one of the things that they were bringing up is that this Valley Girl kind of accent within California is is something that kind of signals. And, and Joe was saying he's seen this happen in like an airport and stuff. And I, I feel like I've seen this as well. I haven't really ever actively thought about it in that way. But trying to think back, I feel like I've witnessed this as well. But there's this way of like signaling like, hey, I'm on your team. Because you'll see two people going back and forth and talking in that really kind of, you know, <laughs> like way. And it's it's this it's this it's this way of signaling, Hey, you know what? We're both progressive. We're both like-minded, that kind of thing. Right. Um, this, but 
but it's actually disconnected in some way. What I found interesting was, and you'll have to, I'll have to find the episode for you and post it so you guys can watch it yourself. But what I found interesting was there was a, a suggestion when they're in the conversation, there's a suggestion that this is somehow a misinterpretation of the standard inflection map that exists within your brain. It's a perversion of it, that it's not healthy in some way and that it, it, it affects communication at a basic level. And so like that, um, and that this isn't just related to just that one accent, that there's something that could be related to like all of these, act- if you ever notice like people will go to the South or they'll go, uh, to the East Coast and for two months and they come back and all of a sudden they have an accent. It's like, okay, that's not something that just happens like because you've got to have it that quick. You know what I mean? People choose that in some way. And there's like a chosen distortion of a ma- of a mental map that can happen. I think that's something I'm trying to get to. That's the, the idea I'm trying to pull out is that you can choose to distort your perception of reality. You can choose that. And nobody can unchoose that for you. And that's part of the issue here. Uh, that links back to the university. Is The university is telling people that you don't have an obligation or a responsibility as a, a member of the human collective to engage with those other perspectives and to see how it fits within your own and to change your own if it doesn't fit correctly. If, if something that you have held as founded isn't founded and something else shakes that, you need to switch those ideas or incorporate those ideas in whatever capacity necessary. But the one thing you can't do is ignore the thing that is sitting in front of you telling you your perception is wrong. Because as soon as you ignore that, you create an alter reality inside of your head that is insane by definition because it's disconnected. It's 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 you create a psychosis, a, di- a disconnection from reality, which is partially why I've argued before that I think we are moving towards a global psychosis of sorts, a human psychosis, that we are all psychotic in some way. We're disconnected from reality, um, that there is no objective reality in some sense, right? Uh, but that especially um, with the way that we're pushing for more equality, equity, and fairness in the world, equity of outcome, I guess, um, this equity of outcome is something that is... Uh, um, I I believe in some sense a psychosis, a disconnected perception of reality that I think is turning violent now, right? Because it's clashing with reality. You know, the world isn't this way. The world isn't this fair thing. It is, does have structure to it. It does have a hierarchy system built within it. The natural sorting of things that happens through the death and, and, and procreation of things, right? Um, this, this sortation mechanism creates hierarchy. What we're trying to do is delete hierarchy in, in, in general, uh, create this equity um, horizontally, this uniform, uniform, uh, uniformity that, that, that um, has been tried before over and over again. Um, but it's, it's a dangerous, it's a dangerous line we walk there. You know, I, uh, I tried to sit down, I think it was yesterday or the day before and cr- record a podcast. I actually tried to do it a couple of times and I was, I've been having a hard time, uh, getting my thoughts out because there's so much mixed energy right now in, in the world. It's, it's, I got a lot of my, my attention's divided. You know, especially like I said, with the election starting to come up, it's going to be here soon, sooner than we than we would like. <laughs> Actually, maybe it can't come soon enough because I, I do think, in some way, that that some of the chaos that we're experiencing is being manipulated in some way. I don't know if you guys feel this as well. 
I don't want from the outset for you guys to think that I'm trying to make this into one big conspiracy, that it's all been orchestrated by somebody sitting in a back room smoking a cigar being like, ha, 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 you know what I mean? <laughs> like, no, no, no. I don't think uh, there's anybody that's that competent, <laughs> honestly, in the world. Uh, to actually illustrate something, orchestrate something like that could be, I don't know, I could be wrong about that, but I don't think it is. I, I think partially what's happening is there's a lot of opportunistic behavior taking place right now in the world. Um, that's actually, uh, opportunistic behavior is kind of something you don't want in a, in a, in a structure, in a, in an advanced society. Um, you do need a certain amount of dis- you need you need to have a certain amount of disorder in a society because that disorder is what allows you to kind of see where it's flawed, right? Too much structure is a dangerous thing. Um, it entails control, but too much chaos and too, too much uh, is 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 unnavigatable, which is what we're closely approaching as as a country. Um, because there's no solid ground to stand on. There's no perspective that seems valid because we've, we've disconnected from all that. The, the spaces that gave us a, a, a solid ground to stand on is being shaken. You know, I think that the founding documents, the idea of America itself is being questioned. Uh, it's being supplanted by this idea that, that it's it was always and always has been and was founded on and always will be in some way inherently racist as a, as a thing. Uh, and that the intent of the United States itself has been in some ways to subjugate and hold down entire groups of people. That that's been the purpose and intent of it from the beginning. I think that that is wholeheartedly and utterly un-American perspective to take. I think it's something that, um, it's a perspective that we need to push back against very strongly, uh, as United States citizens, as patriots. If you are a patriot, if you call yourself patriot, uh, then it, it is time to defend what you believe in and to speak about what you believe in because there is something very fundamentally good about this country. It's the belief in the individual, the protection and the sanctity, sanctity of life, human life, and, 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 and the equity of existence itself, not the equity of outcome, but the equity of the, in, the, equity of the importance of your perspective, that no one perspective is important than the other, in, another and actually there's a necessity for every perspective that we need you. This is what the idea of America is. That you have a responsibility to develop yourself. And that's why America is what it is. Because a bunch of people developed themselves to an astonishing degree. And it provided an astonishing amount of, of, of upward movement and progression. Um, literally an explosion of innovation over the last 150 years. And that didn't happen because people sat around and had ideas. You know, It didn't happen because people thought a lot. You know, or protested, to be quite honest. It happened because people went out there and created something new. People worked on themselves. They followed their internal map. They found what made them different, and then they made it in the world, right? They didn't make the world change to them. They created something that existed within the world that was symbiotic, that provided a value as much as it took from the world in, in, in the form of resources. And that's something, that's something that we need to get back to, that fundamental equation of, hey, how do I provide something, do something for the world that pushes it up, but also make sure that I am sustained? It's a beautiful symbiotic relationship that can occur when you try to develop yourself in the proper way. 
I do think that there's a foundational idea that was lost. I, I do think that there's been a misinterpretation, a historical misinterpretation. The way that American history has been presented is through this secular worldview. It's happened more in a modern context over the last 20 or 30 years, but I think it's been uh, really happening since first wave uh, counterculture in, in a sense. That there's this pushback against the idea that um, uh, of the existence of virtue itself, because virtue itself is attached in some way to deity, to, 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 to divinity, to God, the idea of God. And I think that's why it's been deleted. It's the baby with the bathwater problem, though. You can delete the significance of religious institutions socially. No, there, yes, there is a, a separation of church and state. We misinterpret the reasoning of that, the reason for that, um, I think at least. But the, 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 there is a separation of church and state. So there was a necessity for the religious institutions to remain a social of social importance. What's happened steadily over the last 20 or 30 years, if not more, like I said, since I think first wave counterculture, at least, uh, is this disintegration of the, legit- of the legitimacy and all-out attack, I think, on religion, Western religion itself within the United States by a group of individuals, I, I don't know if it's, it's uh, that, that have decided that there is one way in perspective to view the world. It's the secular worldview and the scientific worldview, and we're not going to have anything else. And so what we've done is disintegrated slowly over time in the minds of our children, the idea of God, we've deleted it from school. We've deleted the idea, which in turn has deleted the, the source of virtue. There is nothing in our constitution, in our government that says be a virtuous, good person. Only thing we have this bill of rights that protects you from the government, Right. It does define in some way what a citizen can and can't do, right? But it doesn't tell you how to live your life. It doesn't tell you what it means to be a good person or a bad person. So if you delete the institutions that do that, Historically, the institutions that do that are religious institutions. Where do virtuous ideas come from? The source is, a, is, is a religious institutions. They're the things that distilled virtue itself over the centuries. That's why they have similar virtues throughout history, regardless of time and space. Because each religion, in a sense, has been watching the thing we call human being for all of human existence and it is distilled what virtues inside of a human being are good and produce upward movement socially and culturally and what things inside of a human being when 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 embodied produce downward movement and and negative cultural uh progression that's the practical purpose of religion that's what the founding fathers understood. That's why they separated the government from the religion. It wasn't only to protect the government from the religion. It was to protect the religion from the government. Corruption. Because the government is always a corrupt thing. It's always perverted. Because there's bad actors that always want power. And where are they going to look first? The one place that looks like the, the holds the most power. So you're always going to, you're going to attract like flies to a friggin' blight, you know, like a, like mosquitoes to one of those, those zappers. You're going to attract these individuals to put positions of power. So how do you deal with them? Well, make sure that you're instituting or providing sources within that society, uh, 
for people to know that that's not what they should embody in themselves, that they shouldn't also go seek power, that they shouldn't also cheat and steal and, 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 and lie and, and, and do whatever is necessary to get what they want. They shouldn't also embody that. That they should live a, a, a good virtuous life, a moral life, and that in doing so, they'll also find their true meaning. They didn't want the, the government to define what is virtuous and what isn't, what a good person is and what it isn't. For the exact reason you're seeing out on the streets right now, because right now what's been defined as a good virtuous person is someone that holds a sign and yells really loud. And I'm starting to think someone that throws bricks through windows and someone that smashes vehicles and someone that spits at cops and someone that destroys things. All of this is being presented by every media source that I can see as a virtuous individual. That's why you can't read any any news source or any story that doesn't doesn't try to separate protests from rioters, right? Well, the reality is, is it's not that black and white. I guarantee you, down in those scenarios, there's a multitude of people that are doing both. There's some that are doing only one thing, only riding. There's some that are sitting there with just a sign trying to. There's some that are complacent doing both. We already deleted the importance of of the religious institutions. Uh, We actually shut down your ability to go and worship inside of them. And then literally immediately after you start to have a social devolution on a scale that we haven't seen since the 1960s, if not ever. And people think we don't need these institutions. Because there's been bad things that happened within them. Of course there has. They're an institution, exactly like the government itself. There's power that comes from any any position within a hierarchy. You're going to attract psychopaths sociopaths to those positions regardless of what the label on the institution is you could call it catholicism or you or 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 buddhism or you could call it whatever it doesn't matter you could call it you know the united states federal government or the state of carolina north carolina i don't know whatever you want to call it the way that you reel those people in is by creating virtuous a virtuous society by having institutions that promote a virtuous message, virtues inside of those people that reel them in. Now, how you interpret those virtues doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what religion institu- re- religious institution you're, you're, you're picking. Or even if you are secular and you take a humanist worldview, there's nothing wrong with that. If you believe that there's just a natural morality that springs from the world itself, from perspective itself, then okay, that's fine. I'm not going to argue against that. I think that's wrong. I think there is a source of that, but I'm not going to try to disprove you. I think because it doesn't matter. You see what I'm saying? If you believe that, that there is a moral way to live and that human beings should treat each other with dignity and respect and that what pops out of that is the virtues you should lead your life with, absolutely, please do that. I'm not gonna, I don't give a shit what the, where you found it from. Just do it. You know what I mean? That's part of the thing we need to get to, I think, as a modern society is recognizing that, that the metaphors don't matter, man. But what we need to recognize is the existence of these things. The p- period means they are so important, it's hard to define their importance. The prevalence of religion throughout human culture, regardless of time and space, means that religious institutions as a thing are some of the most important things we have, period. I would argue the most important thing. 
because it's the mechanism through which you grow as an eternal being, as a soul. It's the entire purpose for life. It's the mechanism that allows you to realize your purpose for life. How you do that, which way you interpret it, that's your choice, right? But the mechanism of religion itself or some believing in something outside of yourself, that's what life is about. Last episode, I talked about kind of, it's astonishing to me how the one thing that everybody is supposed to be doing their whole life is the one thing they never do, working on themselves, right? The United States can't maintain itself if it doesn't have a, a, a polity that is maintaining themselves. If we created a, a, a polity of people that do nothing but consume, that exude nothing but negative traits, gluttonous, jealous, greedy behavior, prideful behavior, if, if that's what we've created as a polity, then that's what our government will represent, guaranteed. If that's what we promote inside of our institutions, if that's what we promote inside of our companies, then that's what they will represent. That's what they will embody, guaranteed. And if you're wondering why the world looks like such an unfair place, and you look at those those positions, those places, those 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 corporations, those those governments, you're you're right to blame those organizations. You're wrong to try to blame religious institutions for bringing us here, which is what I always find happen. It's so it's so common. It's like you know every and a lot of times I hear this in the Joe Rogan podcast and these other podcasts. It's like you know we there's this there's this disgust with with especially the, the Western religions and I think specifically Catholicism since the um, the pedophilia incidences that and it is disgusting. I'm not trying to defend anything like that, but I think it's it's done a lot to mar the name of religion itself in the eyes eyes of 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 Americans everywhere because I do think that. America is predominantly a Western religion-based country, right? And and and, and that the, that the the West, the Western ideal is is based out of out of Western religion, and, and so that when you shake that, when you shake the belief in in the institution that provides the virtues that guides people along that path, um, not that the institution should have been criticized, and that needs to be fixed. Obviously, there's a lot of foundationally wrong things inside of the catholic faith like i was saying obviously if there's things like pedophilia going on there's something very very backwards about that very sinful obviously right but it's a baby with the bathwater problem it's like it's failing to realize the human characteristic existence that exists within every religious institution period that it is a the art outgrowths of the human experience and so you're going to realize you're going to see within it all of the negative characteristics of the human being all of them that as soon as you see an institution that presents itself as perfect just like a like a person you should be really weary of that those, those things, anything that, that sees itself, that presents itself as perfect, has to see itself as perfect in some way. And just, I want you to, for one second, try to perceive yourself as perfect. And then see what feeling you feel inside. See how crazy you start to feel right away. You'll start to understand how crazy people are if they actually present themselves that way. <laughs> you know what I mean? Really quick, all you have to do is try to think that way for one second. You know what I mean? You know, that's what's so, that's what's so, um, and that's often why I think we, we see, um, there's a lot of sadness, I think, inherent within the modern condition because of the way that we've structured our society This and the internet, the effect it's had, social media, the effect it's had on things because, you know, we, social media has, has kind of 
incentivized because you're not going to just post like you getting out of bed with messy hair what's the point of that you're going to post your best part of your day there's been a lot of people talk about this recently right so you're always putting your best foot forward in a sense when you're on facebook and what that does for other people when you're going there sitting and looking through your feed it presents a, a perspective or an image of other of the other people as if their life is a lot better than it actually is as if their life is nothing but a conglomerate of their best foot forward it's this perfect image I think most of the time that's accidental modern day. It's not intentional. People aren't intentionally doing that. They're not sitting there thinking, hmm, how can I make myself look more perfect? Uh, I think it's simply just a product of why wouldn't I post when I'm having fun? <laughs> you know what I mean? Or when I'm looking good or I'm feeling good or I see something that's funny. Or like, like when, when you're having fun, when you're in, when you're in the zone, right? When, 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 when life feels timeless, right? That's when you're going to post things on Facebook or, or Twitter or Instagram at least. Maybe not Twitter. <laughs> um, and so it's going to it's going to make other people have a, a, a but it's going to create a disordered perception in that and um I do think that if you ever but if you do try to imagine somebody that does that intentionally you'll see immediately how evil that individual would be and how evil like an organization has to be if it's an outgrowth of people that's really what an organization is you know and so We do have a fundamental problem here that I don't know if we're going to solve simply by developing a vaccine. We want this quick fix, like we always want, right? (laughs) We want the virus to go away because we think that the reason that the economy is, uh, or, or that we're experiencing all of these negative aspects, maybe not the economy yet, but it's going down, right? Um, that we're starting to experience all these negative things is directly because of the coronavirus. It's like, oh, once this virus is gone, we'll be fine. But what we're failing to realize is that the virus will go away. It doesn't solve the underlying problem. Why, why the society is faltering. Why you're seeing chaos in the streets. It's not simply because there was a virus. It's something much deeper than that. Uh, it's because we failed to maintain ourselves as individual human beings. Um... We failed to maintain the institutions that maintain human beings. Uh, And worse yet, we've allowed individuals that want to leverage those institutions uh, to benefit themselves and their worldview. We've allowed those people to take power, to promote within those organizations. And to produce inside young individuals a certain and specific worldview and to motivate it to give it motion and then to send those people out into the world as little soldiers, little, little activists to do their bidding, little robots. That's a deep problem. That's a systemic problem. (laughs) That's what a systemic problem looks like a real one. And I think if we want to solve, I mean, we're never going to solve these problems. If we want to kind of get back on track, I guess, and not completely tear down everything that we've built up until this point, we need to disentangle this stuff. We need to disentangle the negative from the bad, the good from the bad. 
inside of each of these things, inside of each institution. So it's going to be that complicated. We're going to have to get those people out of those positions. We're going to have to figure out how to identify the negative qualities inside of people. How do we identify what's bad and good? First, we're going to have to accept that there is bad and good ways of living, period. That just because you feel this is a good way to go about your life doesn't mean it's a good way to go about your life. That you also have a responsibility to orient yourself within society itself, to provide a service to society itself, to give back to that society that provides you the kind of stability uh, that allows you to escape the survival world, period, to, sur- to escape the natural world, the world that does nothing but tries to kill you and demands you do nothing but look for food and protect yourself. That's something we never think about, that we're born into this society, this culture that allows us to literally sit down and enjoy a meal or to cook dinner at the end of the night or to do our laundry, to clean our clothes, to focus on things besides eating and not dying. Because of that, we have a responsibility to continue to provide to that system that provides that sort of stability so that other people can thrive and flourish within it and we can continue to develop as a thing. As soon as we stop doing that, which is what we're doing now, we start to immediately slide backwards. Entropy takes place. The world is not ordered. The universe is not ordered naturally. The universe is a chaotic system. Everything that is ordered within it will be, will be, will be, will be devolve into a chaotic mush at some point, including you. The only way it doesn't is to exert energy. There would be some sort of energetic force being put into that system to bring an order to it. And that we each, as individuals, have an innate responsibility to bring order to our individual systems. Bring order to your system, your world. Your world, not the whole world. Your world. You. What you can actually control. Bring order to that system. Because we need everybody to do that so desperately right now. It's the only way that we disincentivize this this under-earth type of individual we've created. This greedy, gluttonous, prideful, jealous, you know, rage, vengeful-filled thing that has now become the representation of the modern human being. And I think it's, it's, it's high time that uh, we dismantle that monument. And with that, uh, that's the Unfounded Podcast, guys. Uh, it felt really good to get back on here and get some, some of that out. So I hope you enjoyed it. Um, and I will uh, attempt to be on here more often. I should be uh, a little better here in like three or four days with money because I'll have my rent paid and stuff. So beginning of the month's a little bit easier than the end of the month usually. I'm sure a lot of you know that struggle, right? So um, I'll be back on here a little bit more prevalently in the next couple weeks. Okay? That's a prevalent, prevalently. That's a hard word to say. Anyway, I'm going to get out of here, guys. Enjoy the rest of your week. And uh, I will talk to you soon. Bye-bye.